So I want to start with a text that I read last week, that I preached on last week. And it's a really simple psalm. It's Psalm 92. The psalms are found uh, sort of in the middle of the Bible. And psalms is just really a word for songs. Uh, These songs that we don't know the instruments really too much about them. We don't really know the melodies of the songs. We don't really know the arrangements of the songs. What we do know is that these were the songs of worship. So when the people gathered together, temple and synagogue, they would sing these songs together, just like we do. It's kind of a cool thing. And we know the reason that they do it. They do it because music is powerful. Music has this incredible way of bringing together um, emotion. It has a way of bringing together just the, the, the way that words alone just can't do, right? There's not really a good way to describe it. It's why, you know, you meet someone who's like, I don't really like music. It's like, that just doesn't seem possible, right? I mean, everybody loves music, and we all have different things that we're into. Some of us are maybe into blues. Some of us are into country. I don't know how, but some of us are into country music. Some are into heavy metal or rap or whatever it is. There's something in us that it just gets us all moving, right? It just has a way of speaking to us. There's something incredible that happens when people get together. You've all had this experience happen. You go to a concert, and sometimes people are singing so loud, you can't even hear the artist anymore because everybody is just into what's happening in that moment. Now, sometimes it's hard to get there. Sometimes, I don't don't know why we do this, but in church, it seems like it's a little harder to express. Maybe we're a little more nervous. The lights are on. We can kind of see each other. And, you know, but there's something about this that that's the way we're supposed to express our gratitude, our thankfulness for who God is, for his faithfulness and his goodness and his mercy and grace, it's worth singing about. And so somebody asked me, they said, well, why do we sing in church? We sing in church because we can't not sing in church. There is something about when I reflect and when we reflect on his goodness and his grace and his mercy, I want to sing it out. I don't want to just talk about it. So as I read this psalm, I want us to hear, I want you to imagine the people singing this psalm. And what's really cool about this, this, I love this, the reason I taught on this one is because we're in this Sabbath series. The Sabbath is a 24-hour period at the end of the week that is specifically given to rest and to worship. So we're navigating, we're discovering, how do we practice Sabbath? What does that look like for us today in 2023? Well, again, for them, on Friday night, it looked like coming in the house. It looked like setting down all of the, the work from that week, all of the tools necessary to make a living. It, it meant a time of reflection and processing. It meant a time of family and feasting, as we'll talk about in a couple weeks. It meant coming together in a time of worship. Eventually, all of that was codified into times that people gathered together in these temples and in these synagogues. We recognized and saw that Jesus did the same thing. He would go to synagogue. It was normal for him to worship on the Sabbath, to gather together with a group of people, to sing songs about God's faithfulness and grace and mercy and his love, to pray together, to learn and grow together, to look at scripture together. This was all very normal reality. But one of the really cool things is that there is a psalm that is particular to the Sabbath. All 150 other psalms, they have all these different titles. None of them are given title as a psalm of the Sabbath, except for this particular psalm. I talked about it last week, so I won't reiterate all of that. If you want to learn why is this particular psalm a psalm of the Sabbath, you can go back and listen to last week. But I wanted to look at this psalm again 
Because it's going to help us today as we look at another piece of what it means to practice Sabbath. So listen to the words of this. This is, this is such a cool beginning. It says this in Psalm 92, starting in verse 1. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name. Now, I love the way this is around here because Kurt, Kurt gets this, and I know Matt gets this, and Nick gets this, Lindsay gets this. It is good to make music. Like all of us, if we were together, I think if we weren't church folk, we would hang out together and play because it's just good to, it's just good to play music, right? It's just good to play music. But you see what like, the psalmist does here. He gets that. I think he's a musician. He's writing. He's like, it's good to make music. And I just wonder if he started this out. You know, it's, it's, it is so good to make music. And then he's like, well, wait a minute. But there's a reason that we make music. So he puts it in order for us. He said, it is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name. So he puts that in context of praise. It is good to praise the Lord. So maybe, you know, you say, oh, I'm not a good singer. I'm not an instrumentalist. You know, I don't have that skill set. It is good to praise the Lord. Anybody can start there. So you go on and you make a joyful noise to the Lord in whatever way that sounds like on Sunday mornings, and we're going to make some music together because it's good to do. Then he goes on, he says, well, why? Well, O Most High, God, my Lord, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. So he says, because of God's goodness and love and mercy and faithfulness in the morning and the night, as in his goodness, his faithfulness, his love, his mercy, his grace, none of that ever ends. As we find out a little bit later on in the psalm, his justice never ends. The picture of the world as a mess that it is today, it's not supposed to look like this. Love and grace and mercy and goodness. A bigger table, not big walls, are supposed to be the way that this world is organized. It's the way things are supposed to look. And so the psalmist is like, listen, God is worthy of praise because that's the picture that God wants for this world. So I want to proclaim your goodness. I want to proclaim your faithfulness. I want to play, proclaim your never-ending love, your never-ending justice. Then he goes on, he says, to the, to the music of the ten-string lyre. I have no idea what that sounds like, but I bet it sounds awesome. To the melody of the harp. I've heard a harp. Harps sound pretty good. Later on, they talk about cymbals and drums and electric. They don't talk about electric guitars, but you get the idea any instrument that you make is good to praise the Lord with. I know a church, I love this. There's this church that, um, they haven't done this for a really long time, but there was this worship leader that I knew that everybody would come together in worship. And if you didn't bring an instrument with you on that day, they handed you a kazoo. And it was an everybody music day. So if you, whatever you played, you brought it with you. So people are walking in with like tubas, they're bringing trumpets in. You know, somebody comes in like, here's your kazoo for the day. And they would play worship. Everybody would just play. I have no idea what that's like, but we are absolutely doing that at Southeast. Because that sounds like, to me, like an awesome, awesome Sunday. That may be the youth Sunday. Let's just make that happen. I just, I just think it's super, super cool. So anyway, so the idea is though they gather together, they worship, they celebrate his love and his goodness. They gather together to come together to make music, to sing, to proclaim the goodness of God. Now we're talking about the practice of Sabbath. As my friend Dan said, we talk about practice. As Alan Iverson, we even talk about the game, we talk about practice. 
And that's exactly, if you get that reference, you're with me, that's exactly what is happening here. Listen, there is a reason we call it the practice of Sabbath. Someday, one glorious, incredible day, a day that I know my dad right now, if you knew my dad, my dad right now is in that glorious, never-ending, everlasting Sabbath rest. Constant praise and worship of God, fully in his goodness and his mercy and his grace, where justice is forever, where love is forever, where goodness is forever, where sin and death have no hold any longer. Man, I want to practice for that day which is why we come into this space. This is practice. Every single week that we come together, we get to practice for that big game. So don't be like AI. Don't sit back. It's just practice. It's just practice. No. Number one, I need it. You need it. I need to be reminded weekly of the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Or my, it's a mess. I need that. I mean, this is why the pandemic sucks so much. For those of us that gather together in corporate worship, we did what we could. We, I, I'm so proud of the way we handled things. But it was hard. Because there's something about us coming together, singing together, proclaiming God's goodness and faithfulness. Again, I'm proud of where we were, but man, it was hard because I need this. I need to practice with my people, and we need to practice because we need to look forward to that day because we are, as followers of Jesus, people of hope. We are people who look forward to that day. That, that's who we're supposed to be. So when people look at Christians and go, oh, they're so mean. They're so hypocritical. They're so judgmental. Well, I don't know what Christians are meeting, but they're meeting the wrong Christians, man. I don't know that Jesus. I don't know a Jesus that leads to judgment and hypocrisy and meanness. I I know a Jesus that leads me to goodness and faithfulness and justice and mercy. That's the Jesus I know and the Jesus who is everlasting and everlasting. That's the Jesus I want to follow. I'm sorry, that was a totally different sermon, but you, you follow me? Like, we need the practice. We need to say those words. So the people would gather together. Let's get back on track. The people would gather together. They would worship together. They would be reminded of God's love and his grace and his mercy. So this idea of worship, this idea of singing was a huge, huge, huge central part of what they did. But there was another part. Along with, the sea, along with the singing, there was another aspect of their worship that we learn about in Scripture that has a huge impact on how we think about the Sabbath. So I want you to imagine, we've got this you know, kind of side over here that is this worship aspect, this coming together, this singing, this, this, this praising God for his goodness. And then there's another aspect, and I want to look at that today. We find this aspect in the book of Leviticus. We don't go to Leviticus very often, but we're going to go to the book of Leviticus, chapter 1, and here is the aspect, the other aspect of their worship. It says, The Lord called to Moses, spoke to him from the tent of meeting. He said, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, 
When anyone among you brings an offering to the Lord, bring as your offering an animal from either the herd or the flock. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, you are to offer a male without defect. You must present it at the entrance to the tent of meaning so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. You are to lay your hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on your behalf to make atonement for you. You are to slaughter the young bull before the Lord, and then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and splash it against the sides of the altar at the entrance to the tent of meeting. You are to skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. This is sounding pretty interesting, right? So we have this responsibility for the people to bring the sacrifice, uh, but the priests had some roles as well. Apparently, they're to splash the blood on the side of the altar. This sounds like enjoyable. This sounds fun, right? Well, somebody's got their head on this bull. And then the priest goes on and it says this about it. It says, Then the sons of Aaron, the, the priests, are to put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. Then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall arrange the pieces, including the head and the fat on the wood that is burning on the altar goes on, you are to wash the internal organs and the legs with water. And the priest is to burn all of it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. So another part of this worship, particularly in ancient Israel, was the inclusion of these burnt offerings. So on one hand, they had this idea that they were supposed to gather together. They were supposed to sing these songs reminded of God's faithfulness and his love and mercy. And then they were supposed to come together, bring these offerings before the Lord, these really perfect offerings, the first of all they had, bring it to the Lord, set it at the altar, and burn that. Now some of you today, I can already tell there's people in here going, is, is Ryan suggesting is Ryan about to suggest that if we want to get this Sabbath thing right, we should have burnt offerings? First of all, the school would never allow it. I, I looked at our insurance this week. Uh, it, it would not go well. Um, we'd probably set off fire alarm, you know, all kinds of stuff. It would just be a really big mess, okay? I don't think the custodial staff would really enjoy if we were splashing blood everywhere. Um, I just feel like that would look poorly upon us with our contract, right? I don't know that they would continue that. But in all seriousness, that is not what I'm going to suggest. You don't need to slaughter a young bull for next week. I ask you to please not bring one. That would be weird. This is an ancient practice, okay? Okay. This is an ancient practice that is not even practiced anymore. These practices of temple sacrifice ended when the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed in the first century. This no longer continues. This is an Old Testament practice that was a huge part of the worship. But here's the deal. Just like the aspect of singing together that continues on, there is something about this because it is so critical and so important that we need to stop and we need to learn from it. So yeah, it's weird. It's weird to us. It's strange to us to think about burnt sacrifices. The, the words of this are a little jarring to us. But I want us to, instead of leaning away from that and saying, well, that doesn't apply to me today, let's lean into it and see what we can learn from it. And one of the places that we can see 
is we talk about this idea of sacrifice. See, the first question that we have to begin to ask ourselves are questions like, well, why? See, if you get to a place in Scripture and you go, that seems weird, that seems different, that seems odd, that doesn't gel with how I understand the world, let's not lean away from it, lean into it and go, but why is it there to begin with? Why were they sacrificing? Now, there's a lot to this, and we could probably talk about sacrifices for a month-long series, but there's a simple answer is this. People gave up their prized possessions as a symbol of their dedication to God. That, that is the simplest way that I can talk to you about why did people sacrifice? Now, there was all kinds of sacrifice in the ancient world. Sometimes people sacrificed because the gods were angry. This was a way to appease the gods, to, to end the, the anger that they had towards us. But as we look at the scriptures here, the overwhelming understanding was that the people sacrificed to God out of their dedication. See, did you notice they gave the best bull to the Lord? They took the best that they have, their prized possessions, as a symbol of their dedication to God. Now, we still talk about this idea of sacrifice today. We serve with our time. We give financially as a symbol of trust in God, dedication to what God is doing through the church. We believe that this pleases God, right? And they believed what they were doing was pleasing to God. There is something that happens within our hearts, within our community, when we reach a place of generosity. We reach a place of dedication. When you see today, as somebody comes up and uses their gifts, the best of their gifts, and serves and gives, that's pleasing to God, right? Well, that's what they talked about in the scripture. Listen to the end of verse 9. The way they talked about this was in a different way than us. We would just say, well, I bet that pleases God to see somebody using their gifts, right? They talked about it this way. They talked about how the smoke of the sacrifices that was burning would go upwards to heaven and be experienced by God as, and I love this phrase, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Now, we, we know that this is not a literal idea going on here. Scripture is not always literal. I don't think God is, oh, that smells wonderful. It's not about the burning bull. It is about the dedication. The, the aroma that is pleasing to God is that he, these people were giving their best. They were sacrificing. They were coming together in worship. They were united in praise of his love and his goodness, his mercy and his grace. And that was an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Around 700 BCE, so about 700 years before Jesus, Hundreds of years after these people entered uh, the promised land, hundreds of years after they had been giving these sacrifices, though, something switched. So, something changed that took these joyful gatherings of dedicated worship and offering, and they turned it into something that was no longer a pleasing aroma. 
So I want you to imagine the people are going through uh, this worship gathering. They're coming together. They're worshiping. They're praising. They're sacrificing. They're worshiping. They're praising. They're sacrificing. They do this for hundreds of years. And then something takes place. Something happens. And all of a sudden, that pleasing aroma to God is no longer an aroma. It becomes a stench. We turn to the book of Amos and we see this, and this is such a powerful passage. Listen now. Instead of God saying this is a pleasing aroma, listen how God describes their offerings. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Man, the way that we get to this now, just imagine this. Everything seemed to be growing great. They were playing the 10 string lyre and the harps. They were having, you know, somebody sacrifice the bull. Everything was great. Everybody was celebrating and worship. Amos comes along. He's a prophet of God telling the people, really, hey, there's something wrong here. You're not doing something right. You need to repent and change and do something different because God is not pleased. He puts into words what that looks like. He says, God is like, you sound like a bunch of out-of-tune hillbillies. I can't stand it. Your music is garbage. People are like, man, that's harsh. He goes on, he says, I hate your religious festivals. I can't stand your gatherings. Smell like a big old crap pile of nonsense is what it seems like to me. I'm done with this. He says, I'm out of here. What happened? How did God go from your offering and this aroma, please? It's like walking into Bath and Body Works, man. It is just, and all of a sudden, over here, it's like he walked into a trash dump, and that's how he now describes the Sabbath. How, how do we go from God creating the Sabbath and the people worshiping in such a great way to God actually despising the people's practice of it. Well, here's how. We have to go back to the framework that we've been building for the Sabbath, okay? Sometimes we start with the house. Oh, it's a 24-hour day, it's this, it's this. We, we put all this stuff in place before we have any kind of foundation. But we have been spending time in this series developing a foundation for a theology of Sabbath because this theology is going to inform everything we do, right? Does that make sense? Because if we don't have the theology of the Sabbath right, then the house is going to be a mess and never fit on the foundation the way it's supposed to. And that's what's going on here. The theology, the foundation of the Sabbath got screwed up and mixed up, and it wasn't working anymore. See, here's what we learned. We learned that some of the ancient rabbis taught that it wasn't just a day of rest that God was creating and giving to his people, but that what God was creating, do you remember this? God was creating peace. God was creating serenity. God was creating tranquility. He wanted them to experience in the Sabbath what the eternal Sabbath is supposed to look like. He wants the people to experience it and then go and live it out in the world. Live out the hope of this eternal rest in God's goodness and grace and mercy. 
to give others the peace, the tranquility, the serenity that they experience in their lives. The practice of the Sabbath is meant to have you experience that so that you go and live it out in the world around you. See, do you see again the practice, why the practice matters so much? I need that. We need that. But Amos talks about how the opposite was taking place, and God was not happy about it. Listen to what he says in Amos 8. Hear this, you who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land, saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath be ended that we can market wheat? Skimping on the measure, boosting the price, cheating with dishonest scales, buying the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, selling even the sweepings with the wheat. And do you remember when I said that God is a God of justice? These people were mistreating the poor among them. They, they were mistreating the people. They were dishonest in all that they were doing. They, they were fixing the scales so that when they would weigh things, they would take a little bit off the top. And in their hypocritical way, they were then going into worship and claiming to worship the God of goodness and grace and mercy. All while backstabbing all of the people around them. And God wasn't going to have any of it. I mean, this goes right back to Psalm 92. I'm just going to take a little pause here. Psalm 92, we learned, was all about that remembering God's justice and him recognizing and saying, this is not the way the world is supposed to be. The world is supposed to look like this. This is how you're supposed to treat each other because this is how we're supposed to look, how we're supposed to be. And he looks around and he's so distraught and so angry because the people, instead of having the Sabbath become a part of their lives in such a way that they went out and shared that serenity and peace and tranquility with the world around them, they instead went out and did the opposite. And this is really amazing. The key to this hypocritical worship, because that's all it is, is found in something incredibly relevant for us today. Amos 8.5 says this, When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain? And the Sabbath ended that we may market wheat. Now listen to this, because this sounds a little weird to us, but I'm going to help us unpack this a little bit. When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain? And the Sabbath ended that we may market wheat. So what he's saying is these people are in this worship gathering and they're just fidgeting because all they're thinking about is when can we get out of here? When can this be done? When can we end this Sabbath? I want to get back to selling my wheat. I want to get back to my stall. I want to get back to making money because I need to focus on my stuff. And they're all focused and they're all fidgety because all they want to do is get back to work. They want to get back to their business. In Sabbath as Resistance, a theologian, Pastor Walter Brueggemann, says this. He says, all the while that they keep Sabbath, they are, in fact, in their imaginations, buying, selling, trading, bargaining, planning their fantasy football team. They're focused on all sorts of other things. 
instead of resting in the Sabbath goodness of their God. Now, this is also huge. Because remember, this was not just an hour of worship. The Sabbath was a 24-hour period of completely unplugging. Of recognizing and saying, all that anxiety, that worry, all that fear that comes with thinking about all my to-dos and all my stuff. This is a gift. This time is a gift. Where All that will happen. All that worry and anxiety, all that stuff, all that money making, that will all come back. But for this moment, I can just drop it. And I can rest. I can come in and be myself. I can just let all that melt away. And that's a gift. The appearance is one of rest, he goes on, but says, the prophet sees a reality, listen to this, this is so good, a reality of restlessness. The appearance is of rest, but the reality is restlessness. Restlessness for the eager to return to their commerce, to their business, to all the stuff that they have. How fascinating is that? So, so they had the, the, the house was right. They had the appearance of it. But what was inside was a mess. We have the same temptation today as we did then. God invites us into Sabbath rest. But our culture of busyness and distraction invites us to multitask it away. Listen to that again. God invites us into Sabbath rest, but our culture of busyness and distraction invites us to multitask it away. Brighamman puts the distracted Sabbath into words many of us can understand and most of us will remember. He says this, it is like making deep love, but all the while watching the clock. I'm so glad my mom's not in here. <laughs> but we will not forget that metaphor. It is like making deep love, but all while watching the clock. Let's try a quote that's a little less risque. Wayne Muller, who's a minister and therapist, says this. Sabbath invites us to take off our shoes and allow our bodies to touch the earth. He gets this more wholesome image <laughs> from the story in Exodus of Moses. Listen to this, and then we'll close up. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Now, the way we normally think of that story is that the sandals represent some kind of disrespect, like wearing a hat during the national anthem or something like that, right? We think that it is a symbol of a disrespect for Moses, but what if it's something else? What if his sandals are a barrier to Moses experiencing the holiness of the moment? 
His sandals are a reminder of the flock tending that he needs to get back to. And God says instead, take off your shoes, sit with me, enjoy this moment, and experience the holiness of being present on Sabbath. With his shoes off, I love this, with his shoes off, there is nothing to separate Moses from the blessing of God's presence in that moment. Benedictine monk and author, David Steino Rass says this, I love this. Whenever we take off our shoes, we will realize that we have been standing on holy ground. And this brings us to our Sabbath practice. Each week I've tried us to give us a way to lean into the Sabbath in a very tangible way. We talked about the idea of writing down some things that we're thankful for that God has blessed us with and given us in our lives, the blessing of the faithfulness of God, to take time each week at the same time to write down those blessings, to practice the Sabbath. This week, we continue our practice of the Sabbath in a very different way. In some traditional Jewish households, there's this tradition of a Sabbath box. And in this box, people would take this box and they would stand at the entrance of the house. And into that box would go all the things of the week. You could put your shoes in the box. You could put your tools that you work with into that box. You would put all of the things of commerce that you have into that box. And as people placed them in there, they knew that these were the things that they didn't want to have distract them from the real Sabbath rest. Again, traditionally, it could be shoes like Moses, right? It could be tools for a manual labor job. In a modern culture, it might be your laptop, your phone, or another device that keeps you tethered to work. For others, it's that to-do list that you can't seem to get rid of. You need to put it in that box. For other people, it's a worry or it's a concern that you need to put in that box. And then you shut the box. You open the box back up after the end of the Sabbath, not just to retrieve the items, but listen to this. This is the best part. But to be aware of how you respond to them when you receive them back into your life. There's the practice creating some tension in our lives. Am I receiving this back as a blessing in my life? that God has provided for my life a way to do and to live and to be? Or am I bringing all this back into my life as stress and anxiety? See, something's going to happen. And some of us may just close the box back up. Say, I, don't, I don't need that anymore. So this is the practice of Sabbath rest. So I want you to take a box this week. We all have shoe boxes. Am we all have Amazon boxes, right, that we're probably going to get on Monday or Tuesday. I want you to reflect on that. Put it in the box on Friday evening. So come on Friday evening. Talk to your family about this. If your family doesn't want to participate, you participate. Take the box. Decorate it if you want. Just put Sabbath box or just leave it. Whatever you want to do. Take those items that you don't want to take into the week, those distracting items, those things you bought from Amazon on Monday or Tuesday. Put them right back in the box. Put your laptop, your to-do list, Write down your worry, your anxiety. Drop it in the box. Close the box up. Tape up the box. That phone starts ringing, leave it alone. 
Forget it. They can wait till after the Sabbath. It's fine. Get it all ready. After Sunday worship next week, open the box and receive back into your life those items. See how you respond to them. See what you're holding on to. But this weekend, this coming weekend, I want you to experience that untethering, that unplugging that is supposed to be our Sabbath rest. Because I think if we do that and we come and we worship together without all of that nonsense, that worship and that praise will be an aroma pleasing to our Lord. God, we are so thankful for these images of Scripture, these stories and these lessons, what we learn through these passages. God, so many of us are just, just absolutely worn out, running at a pace that is just not sustainable. So God, help us this coming weekend to break the cycle, to be weird in a really good way, to tell people on Friday night, I'm entering Sabbath and I'm done. I'm just done. I'm putting that away. That worry, that anxiety, it doesn't have a hold on me any longer. That device that keeps ringing all weekend long, I don't need it. I'm going to put it away. Whatever it is, God, may you bless the gift. May, may you bless that moment as we say, I am laying this down out of my hands so I can receive from you. As we close our prayer, would you stand with me this morning? And I want you to do something. We're going to do a little practice here, and then, then we'll close. Take your hands. I want you to put them in a big old fist. We've done this several times. And I want you right now to physically imagine what you're going to put in that box on Friday. You've got it in your hands. I don't know. You might have to go like this, but, you know, you've got it in your hands. And this is that feeling we want to have. Let's drop those in our boxes. Just drop them. That anxiety, that worry, that to-do list, all of that stuff is gone. Now turn your over, hands over and imagine the freeness of welcoming his rest. Just breathe for a minute. That's what God wants for us. Amen.